registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. All right. Hey, Justin, how are you? Great. How are you doing, Erin? Good, thanks. I'm really excited to have you on today. I know we were talking a little bit off-air about how I've been following you on Instagram for God knows how many years you've been in this field and and promoting it on Instagram. Um, But I know a little bit about you, but the listeners don't. So I'd love for you to maybe share kind of your story about how you got interested in, um, you know, your field and your niche with autoimmune and thyroid disorders. Sure thing. Yeah. I mean, the simplest and quickest way to explain it is when I was in uh, graduate school, um, about five years or so ago, I was uh, honestly interested in in studying orthomolecular nutrition and uh, uh, alternative medicine for cancer. That's what I wanted to do. That's actually um, where I want to spend my time helping people. And so my mom had just been diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's right around that time. And I had no idea what it was. I was like, what is this? I vaguely um, heard about autoimmune disease. And so listening to what she had done and how modern endocrinology wasn't really getting her very far. Um, I decided to take it upon myself and just explore and learn to see what alternative medicine had to offer. And I was kind of blown away with like how many different things, um, were available that we could do for this and how it's largely lifestyle driven. Um, and then seeing after introducing her to, uh, naturopaths and, and doctors in that field, I learned that and while they do great things and it's the whole side of that, it's very beneficial and useful. There are some major holes in that and the way that a lot of them are doing things. So I said, all right, this has got to, we got to figure something else out here. And I kind of just like support her along uh, the way um, as she was going through this. And at that point I kind of realized, you know, after she had been dealing with this for 20 plus years, symptoms really of undiagnosed Hashimoto's I'm convinced at this point and brain autoimmunity, she had migraines for 20 years as well. So I knew that there was more than this, uh, more than a thyroid issue going on, which is a common thing I see anyway. But, um, I knew that she's not alone and it's like what the most or one of the most common autoimmune diseases out there. So more women need to definitely, uh, hear about this and know it's, truthful and, and possible. And so it's been my mission since I just switched gears. I said, I have to, um, show other women, I think what is possible and give them a sense of hope because a lot of them are in the dark and it's, oh, it's been that way ever since it's like, you're only getting worse. The prevalence is only increasing. So I, I did the right thing. I know. So, I mean, that's the reason why I'm here plain and simple If it weren't for my mom. I would not be doing any of this. I, well, we're grateful yeah. for your mom's unfortunate <laughs> health issues because you've helped in, you know, so many people and you have this academy now, this Hashimoto's Academy, is it Autoimmune Academy or Hashimoto's Academy? Yeah, the Hashimoto's Academy. It's just a, a very, uh, it's like the concierge service, service I call it for Hashimoto. So it's a lot that. of, just a lot of support. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, lifestyle factors, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And I'm really excited about that because, um, you know, I think a lot of doctors do know and do discuss with patients, you know, certain lifestyle factors that do contribute to things, but I don't know that it's always really the forefront of recommendations being made. And it's really cool when you realize the things that are in your control and that you can do, right. It can be very right. empowering and, Um, you know, you'll definitely touch on the emotional impact of, you know, autoimmune disease, but you know, that is empowering and that's really important to just have that belief, right. That you can make progress and heal, um, in so many different ways. And I know that with my clients too, for sure, with digestive issues is they, they feel that they're broken and that there's no way out. And that can be an incredibly self-limiting belief of, of their, you know, standard of care, which is just, it's awful. Totally is. Yep. Um, so let's start with what is Hashimoto's because, 
you know, a lot of people hear about hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and they think, okay, those are the two main thyroid disorders, but I don't think a lot of people know what Hashimoto's even is. Mm. Yeah. So essentially it's a disease where your own immune system attacks your own thyroid, right? And that's, that holds true, that, that model holds true for psoriatic arthritis and lupus and MS and et cetera, et cetera. So um, <clears throat> there's this loss of tolerance, as they call it, um, and meaning your immune system inappropriately responds and reacts to things that it shouldn't in the environment. And as a consequence of that, it uh, mistakenly uh, attacks your thyroid thinking that, um, now there are many reasons for that, which I won't necessarily get into, but it's uh, the sort of um, issue where your own tissue gets attacked by your own immune system. There's a level of autoimmunity going on in everyone, actually. It's just, well, to what degree? And yeah, there's a lot of factors and environmental things going on. And we know this because genes don't change that fast in 60, 70 years. So how is it that every year the incidence of autoimmunity is going up, you know, somewhere between one is, don't call me on this, two to six percent, whatever, something like that. Some, something I remember reading, you know, so it's the environment and what we're being exposed to with agriculture and toxins and chemicals and who knows what else. So there's this interplay with your own genes and there's a genetic uh, component for sure. But the thing that I think trips people up is they think that it's a genetic issue and it's, uh, well, my mom had it and my grandmother has the disease, I'm going to get it too. And same with heart disease and a lot of these other common illnesses. But yeah, that might be true. And it usually is a, an important factor. But as I tell people, you know, genes don't um, predispose, they, pre um, they, pre they don't predetermine um, your, uh, your risk for autoimmune disease. It's, um, you know, they predispose you to it, but they don't, they don't absolutely say you're going to get this disease because it's contingent upon your lifestyle. And, and all the many, many things that influence that, that are not always in our awareness, but um, over time, we can start to see and piece together like kind of how we got here. Mm. And, and so to make a long story short, it's just the immune system gets hyper, um, you know, aroused and, and confused. And it's because of a lot of things that we're exposed to now. Um, and it's beyond just the environment too. It's, it's, it's stuff with stress and emotions and trauma. And, you know, that's a whole different route we can go down, but yeah, it's a mixed match of all these different things. And there could be many different combinations of reasons. Everyone's really got a whole different set of, uh, as I call it, a combination lock. It's like you could have four numbers, 12, 38, you know, 42. It could be so many different things that are triggering your immune system to do this. But that's sort of the the art and uh, the investigative process that has to take place. But yeah. that is pretty much what's going on. Yeah. So it's, it's hard, right. As a, as someone who's been diagnosed, right. When you, when you hear about how many different things can impact it. So it's not just as simple typically as, okay, so you have, you know, this autoimmune condition and we just say, okay, here, turn it off, which is the conventional medicine route of addressing it medication wise. We'll definitely get into that. Mm -hmm. um, but so symptoms, right. There, there's a lot of different symptoms that are associated with uh, Hashimoto's. So um, I, I think what are the most common ones that you see? Um, and in terms of like, I guess maybe yeah. like the top five or something like that. Uh, oh yeah, definitely weight gain and fatigue and brain fog. I mean, those are the top three for sure. Forgetfulness, memory issues, um, but mostly fatigue and, and weight. <clears throat> um, so outside of that, because that's what people care about. It's weight and energy. And yeah. so, you know, but the other uh, nuisances that we see a lot, hair loss and cold hands of feet, brittle nails, thinning hair, maybe constipation, IBS stuff, and maybe some vertigo issues. Um, you know, things that aren't really a problem they're, they're to them, um, but they are indicative of, of hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Um, and um, so those are the main ones, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's confusing because a lot of these overlap with other conditions. And so it's not to say that this is exclusively only related to Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, but it's a good, it's definitely the, the forefront of my mind when I hear someone say they have these symptoms, like, okay, there's definitely a need to rule this in or out because most of the time it's that. And hypothyroidism, um, if, especially if someone's diagnosed with hypothyroidism, I mean, it's 
predominantly Hashimoto's that's, that's causing it. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Super yeah. helpful to know. And you mentioned like what people notice the most, right? So the weight is a big one because people are, you know, can be very sensitive about their weight and how they feel. So that's typically probably one of the main things that people will, will complain of first. That makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of, you know, diagnosis, so, right, you go to a doctor and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I have all these symptoms and they, they run some labs, maybe they test like your TSH, they do a complete blood count, kind of like your basic surface level type of blood testing. Um, what, what's missing in like just a TSH? Like what, like, where's the bigger picture there? I'm going to kind of play, I'm not going to say play dumb, but play like audience level here and just say like, what else should I be looking for if I'm looking for, um, uh, like any sort of thyroid diagnosis? So the first thing I'll say is that, um, while TSH is the go-to total T4, um, which are, going to be run all the time it's it's not very common to see much else tested and that's why i guess we're having this discussion (laughs) and uh because that's all they care about because that's what is going to direct their decisions around prescriptions and and dosage right um and they don't it's not gonna you know getting these other biomarkers tested free t3 free t4 first t3 antibodies even it it doesn't really matter to them. It's not going to change anything. So this is the biggest frustration for people because they want to get these done or they've tried and they just are told, no, we're not going to get it done for you. Or it's, you know, so it's, it's a big challenge. And, and, and people say, well, what can I say to get them to do it? I'm like, probably nothing. Cause it's not going to really change, you know, and, and <laughs> it's a stress in your life. You probably don't want to do uh, give yourself, so you can get this on order the stuff on your own, by the way. And this is what I just tell people so, so they feel empowered. Like you're not screwed. You can definitely go to directlabs.com and walkinlab.com, these sort of websites where you can order the stuff. If push comes to shove and you have to get it done, you want to inquire. Um, but you know, those are the the major biomarkers. Um, and they are helpful to know. However, um, I will say that this is where it gets tricky because we can get really fixated on numbers and, and wonder why, uh, like even actually yesterday, I was just talking to somebody, a client of mine, and she was saying how, um, her TSH went down. Um, and she was off from thyroid meds. Um, like, so why is it going down when I'm off my meds? I said, there's so many reasons why that could happen. So, you know, it's, it's a snapshot in time when you take these, when you get these labs done and they can change by tomorrow. Yeah. So it's, you have to take it with a, a big grain of salt. I think when you, when you um, look at this stuff, I know I'm kind of going off the path, but I think it's important to, to be, be aware of this stuff. Cause um, lab, you know, these aren't the be all end all sort of things where the numbers are saying this and that's the, the, the final conclusion. And so it's um, they're good to know, but they have to really do uh, correspond with their symptoms and how you feel is what matters the most. Um, and uh, so, but thyroid antibodies definitely have to be in the discussion. If you are um, considering or thinking you might have Hashimoto's or if someone you, in your family has it and it's never been properly uh, ruled out and people tell me all the time, um, I've had hypothyroidism. I said, did you get antibodies? Tested? I don't really know. What is that? Oh, and I don't, I don't have a copy of the lab. So <clears throat> you have to be really on top of it and be your own health advocate and, and ask about it, be aware of antibodies, get a copy of results and see if they're even tested because um, a lot of people will just walk around and not know they have undiagnosed Hashimoto's and thinking that, um, or told that taking levothyroxine or Synthroid or some thyroid replacement is going to be adequate. <clears throat> and largely it's not. Yeah. Right. Now you're when you so for just for the listeners. So so when Justin's talking about antibodies, he's talking about thyroid peroxidase antibodies, so TPO antibodies. And it would it be correct to say that you can still present with normal thyroid function, but still have high TPO antibodies? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. If we if conventional medicine actually cared enough, we could <laughs> test these antibodies in the blood every year and catch it before it turns into stage three full-blown Hashimoto's or autoimmunity. 
um, because they're there. I mean, the studies have shown this, like the predictive value of TPO is like around 92%, maybe. So, I mean, if you have the antibodies, um, it's going to predict you if you're going to develop Hashimoto's if nothing changes. So, yeah. um, we see this in lupus and other, other, uh, research has shown this too. So it's important to get it. And that's why I even get mine done every once in a while, because my mom has it, my grandmother probably has it although she never really <laughs> had antibodies test back then i don't think so like i just do it as preventative but um yeah that's why i think getting this done and in thyroid probably tg the other one would be good to know uh but tpo is generally the one that is mostly elevated you know it's interesting too and i don't know if you know this but there's um there are antibodies that that have and it's not commercially available i don't think but you can get antibodies to T3 and T4 and um, enzymes that are involved in converting T4 to T3. And so it's many, in many parts of the thyroid actually it can be targets. But so is it possible? I'm just throwing this out there. Is it possible that people can have Hashimoto's and, and have symptoms of it that looks like it, yet they're negative for TPO and TG? I've seen that. And I'm convinced that they could still have it, but it's just something to be aware of. So it's not, we don't, it's like, we don't have it all figured out yet. We're always learning new things in science, right? So sure. pretty interesting. I think that's really helpful to, to take away the message of, you know, don't just look at lab values and think like, okay, I have a high T3, I need to treat that. Or I have this and this is low and I'm going to have to address that. It's, it's things can constantly be in flux as our mm-hmm. bodies are, right? You can gain and lose five pounds in a day. You know, things in the body are constantly changing. So it's important to keep that in mind and not get fixated on lab values. And more importantly is how you feel, right? So mm-hmm. same thing with digestive stuff, right? So somebody comes to me and they're like, oh, my H. pylori levels were super high on my stool test. And it's like, okay, well, you're not presenting with any symptoms of H. pylori. Like your digestion's great. You're feeling great. So we don't go and just treat something just because a lab value is necessarily high. You know, there's, there's certain things to be said for that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I agree. So we talked about medication or you kind of briefly just mentioned it there. And um, I know a lot of people um, who are going to be listening to this episode are curious, like, mm-hmm. can I, can I be healthy if I don't take medication? Is medication the only route? When is it appropriate? Um, We'll, I'll stop with those questions well, first. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is an important thing that most people need because I rarely ever do I see someone be able to get away without it because there's so much tissue damage and destruction that you can't even make a, a fraction of uh, ad- adequate thyroid hormone to sustain metabolism, right? So yeah. it's it's important. There's no shame in it. You just need that support. But um, as you work on the lifestyle, things that need to happen to, to calm down the immune system, that's, the, that's really the, the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah the thing with, with uh, medication, though, is that um, it's useful and necessary, but like if your TSH is high, yeah, you're going to want to be on something because I think about like a woman in, um, who's pregnant, and the research has been pretty clear on this, too, I think, that a woman with a high TSH going to pregnancy is is going to, is a bad situation to be in. So they, their objective is to get you on replacement and they bring it down because it's going to definitely affect the embryo and the, in the fetus. So, um, similarly though, you know, I think that the research has shown that high TSH levels that are, um, and I don't mean just like slightly out of range, like three or three and a half. I mean, like even getting higher and higher is not good. I mean, it's really a problem for more than just the thyroid, but, um, so getting that down is important, but here's the thing I'll say is that, um, it, it, a, a high TSH, like say five, five and a half, that's pretty sustained throughout your checking, uh, your, your, te- your testing, every, you know, periodic, uh, periodic testing is better than a, a rising TSH five and a half this month. All right. Three months later at six you know, four months later, it's now seven. That's not a good thing. So like replacement's important to help bring that down. But here's the thing. It's not always going to do that. It does for a lot of people, but it also doesn't work because there are many factors involved that are, that are interrupting the entire flux of the hormones and, and, um, and, and how that feeds back and influences the brain to make TSH, you know? So it's confusing, but the thing is like, yeah, conventional doctors will say that you need this and it's helpful and it is for sure. But 
there is an issue if we are thinking this is going to um, resolve it. And if we're frustrated because our TSH is still high, yet we're doing all the right things with our meds and changing it and the dosage and still not budging. Yeah, because there's more going on. It has to do with the entire landscape of inflammation. It's disrupting the communication. So, you know, you can see how it's really frustrating for someone who's going through this and they don't know this and the doctors are kind of closed-minded and not willing to um, explore this or they don't know either. And um, I'm just saying, yeah, it's, it's, you can only do so much with meds and they're helpful, but it's not always the thing that will resolve every problem. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely... True. And I think um, what I see in my clients with any type of thyroid issue is, oh, you know, you're, you're kind of just managing it by adjusting the dosage versus kind of treating underlying issues. Like I have clients who have leaky gut and that, you know, hyper permeability of the gut can significantly impact your thyroid function and, and immune function in general. And so I always am telling people like you have to address the underlying issues before you just are going to see any sort of resolution, which I think we should dive into that, right? So what are these other factors um, that play into it? Is there, so with regard to like, what, what specifically are you trying to ask then? So like genetics, there. so you mentioned genetics as a part of it, yeah. right? So genetics is yeah. going to predispose you. Um, so what about environmental factors? Like what are some well, environmental okay. factors? All right, so we can narrow it down that way. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. so there's many... Um, well, there's a lot. I mean, as far as the literature shows, um, and the biggest one, honestly, that I've seen is, is BPA and, uh, you know, plastic and, um, your coffee lid, your thermal receipt paper, um, Tupperware, like these sort of things that you find it in. I mean, that's a big source because we're exposed to it all the time, but BPA is a big, big one. Cause we know that can, can, um, the immune system is not like that and it does <laughs> and it thinks that looks like your thyroid a lot of times so um no receipt paper receipt paper yeah yeah okay. I, I read that one time about the amount of exposure that you get um of from bpa from just handling paper receipts but you kind of like you got spotty there for a second so i wanted to make sure the listeners oh sorry no it's okay yeah yeah so um uh, BPA and, and receipts. Yes. That's <laughs> a source for sure. Um, but you know, there's a lot of other things too. I mean, um, even like random things like formaldehyde and, and phthalates potentially, um, and dioxins and glyphosate and, uh, mercury is one for sure. Heavy metals, um, have been shown. We know that. So, um, and there's, there's probably more, you know, um, what am I thinking of? Poly uh, halogenated by bif- biphenols. I mean, these random terms that you're not even going to remember. All, those, anyway, big, all like, those big fun words. Yeah, <laughs> but like they're they're in a lot of of household products that we get, and and some that we just we're exposed to with buying things we need. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ridiculous to be like, well, we can't we you know we can't buy that, can't do this, and we might as well be isolated and do nothing, right? So practical so, steps, so like like practical yeah. things, right? So you right. can not choose BPA containing like you know buy glass Tupperware, glass water bottle, or stainless steel <clears throat> water bottle, or yeah. you know limit your intake of high mercury fish, or um, go on a website to find natural skincare products. Uh, so those are the first that come to my mind. But I mean, when you say those things, I'm like, okay, there are some pretty simple things that I could do, like to prevent my exposure, not completely, but reduce, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to avoid everything. And it's not the goal. It's actually just to clean up the stuff that you buy, personal care products. And um, e- even some things like that are really kind of minor and, and depends on the person, but um, like flame retardants, for example, your, your couch has that maybe your mattress does. Um, and in, you know, PCBs and things like it. Yeah. And, and, and big, um, uh, large fish, the large uh, big game fish. So like a lot of these types of things. Um, and that can only get you so far. I mean, honestly, um, I, people I work with, we do these things and they don't very small in my, my humble opinion, it's just a, a small aspect of, of the pie as far as what most people are dealing with. So 
I just say, yes, be aware of these things, phthalates and, and um, pesticides and doing organic and making sure your water's clean. Cause those, those are the practical things that we need to do. Um, but you can do all that and you might still, still not see any difference um, because it's just, uh, I find not a, not, a, not a big chunk of the pie of what's triggering Hashimoto's. They might be, um, but not everybody reacts to chemicals and, and toxins, toxicants even. Um, so it, it's just a good thing to keep in mind, but I wouldn't get too attached to it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And from a, from a digestive standpoint, I will say, you know, clearing up things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, ad- addressing candida overgrowth, parasites, um, these can play another big, I would say not another, I would say a big chunk of the pie, right? So mm-hmm. if you are having digestive issues or overgrowth, that's going to interfere with a lot of things in terms of how well you're absorbing certain nutrients that are critical for thyroid function and immune function. Um, you know, you can, you can address it from you, so many different angles from a gut health mm-hmm. standpoint, but really making sure that your gut is healthy would be my message. Um, and I think most people want to know about diet, right? So what are some dietary strategies that you, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing kind of like what you would recommend or is it very personalized or like, yeah, the biggest question I get is I love gluten. Do I have to give up gluten if I have Hashimoto's? Um, that's a big one. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, you don't have to do anything, right? I'm just saying like, you know, it's totally your body, your choice, but you have to just see the truth. If you're feeling terrible and you feel worse every time you eat gluten um, and, or there's delay reaction, or you even have evidence against antibodies against uh, antibodies against it, um, then you probably gotta get rid of it. Otherwise, you know, or go as far, go as long as you can with eating it every once in a while, if you want to, and seeing and see if that changes how you feel. If it doesn't, then you know, you really probably need to cut it back. So you can try to play with it a bit, I think. And if you want to do that, see how far you can go. Um, but you, you might get to a point where you really got to cut it out. If you're going to see any, um, major changes, in how you feel, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I don't know anybody that, that can handle a gluten really. Um, and some people eat it on purpose or by accident and, and they can still be fine. I really, what I'm, what I think I'm trying to say is that when you're on the path to recovery and remission and you're new to this, you really got to be strict in, uh, about your about this stuff, I think, but as you get closer to healing and you're in remission, I think you, I've seen people have more leniency and they can handle it once in a while and not have a massive flare or because you've done a lot of healing. I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity to kind of, you know, jump off the bandwagon for a bit. If you want have some wine or alcohol, I don't know. These things can happen and you might be okay. And I've seen that, but I think, yeah, you really should uh, consider experimenting with it. Um, And the same goes with other foods too. It's not like, um, it's all gluten because it's not, mm-hmm. but yeah, from a literature standpoint, gluten is the biggest food antigen that triggers it. And, uh, dairy is the second casein in dairy. So okay. those two are the biggest big no-nos I tell people. And I'm like, all right, have some cheese if you like to. And that has, uh, is, sometimes there's a bigger, a greater chance of tolerance to that, but cow's milk is a no-no. And I tell people start with that. I, I don't even, um, and people might like me or not, but I, I am not a fan of VIP necessarily in the sense that if you need to do it fine, but if you just jump right into that, you're kind of creating undue punishment, I think, because not everyone is, uh, I've seen going to re- respond well to that because from a psychological standpoint, it's very stressful and, and the psycho social aspect of it. And it's not fun to live that way. Right. And not to mention, you're not going to react to every food out there just because your neighbor or your friend with Hashimoto's is doesn't mean you are either. So it's very, very personal and it's not so clear, but I say start, uh, you know, that's my opinion on it, but I think you start with removing gluten and dairy and seeing how far you get. But I know with me, I don't have to do a lot with clients to, to cut out more and more foods because they're doing fine with, with, with what we're doing. And, and if they can eat, nightshades and lectins and gluten-free grains and, and be fine, then, and then that's good. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's plenty, plenty of options. Yeah. Plenty of options. I yeah. think, um, there was, there's one particular client that I can think of and she, she tried the AIP diet for those who are listening. It's <laughs> the autoimmune paleo. I don't think I've ever talked about that on this podcast, but, 
Um, it's very restrictive. I remember when I was going through my own gut healing protocol, you know, back in like high school, the practitioner recommended it to me. I looked it up and I was like, what? This is insane. It's incredibly restrictive and um, was not absolutely something I was going to do. But I had a client who tried this and she was struggling with, um, you know, just stubborn weight gain. She was not losing weight. She was just steadily climbing up. She tried AIP. The weight kept climbing up and she was probably eating like, I don't know, 1200 calories. I kept saying, this is way too low. You're, you're not eating enough carbs. Like this is way too restrictive. The second she liberalized her diet and started balancing out, just eating, like you said, gluten-free grains, you know, more carbohydrates, balanced meals, protein, veggies, um, she started losing weight. And so I, I've seen in, in a few instances how the AIP diet actually, like you said, can, can actually go in the other direction. I, I can say I've never seen more than three people in my entire three and a half years of being in private practice do the AIP and it changed their life and they, you know, completely cured their autoimmune issues. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, diehards out there, but uh, I haven't mm -hmm. seen any in my practice and I wouldn't encourage it. Honestly, I think, you know, to your point, there's literature to support, you know, the benefits of a gluten-free diet in terms of uh, just calming down the immune system generally. I do see a lot of people who have celiac um, who also have coexisting um, Hashimoto's and there's a lot of research to support mm -hmm. that and um, to, to kind of make the connection there. So it, it makes you wonder, right? So what is the, what is the link between gluten there, the autoimmune um, and Hashimoto's? So it's, it's just very interesting to, to look at. So, you mentioned alcohol. So alcohol, drinking a lot of alcohol. We all know that's not good for us. It's definitely not good for the thyroid. Um, artificial sweeteners, refined sugars, things like that. Nobody should be eating 80% of their diet of those. Um, now, talk to me about iodine. Like, what, what are your thoughts on iodine in the case of thyroid? Yeah. Um, people are like, oh, I'm going to just take an iodine supplement. And that can go very wrong. <laughs> well, you know what? So... Um, it's not a thing that people ask me about. It's just the thing I think people are attracted to are these thyroid support formulas that contain it. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, okay, you got to get all the nutrients for your thyroid, selenium and iodine, vitamin D, vitamin A and zinc, blah, 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 right. Tyrosine. And so the logic is like, okay, we do these things and that will support our thyroid and, and our hormone production and we're fine. And it doesn't happen because Hashimoto's is not a thyroid hormone or a thyroid nutrient deficiency issue. Um, and similarly with thyroid replacement, you know, if that's not getting the job done, why would a bunch of supplements either? It's, it's the same bucket of stuff. Right. And the reason being is because it's being overshadowed by the massive immune attack and the things that are going on in the body. That's just it really put a damper on all the benefits that those things could be doing for you. But to your point though, iodine is an interesting thing because even when I was starting off doing this, iodine was great. Uh, goitrogens were not, <laughs> and we needed to avoid those. Now it's literally the opposite. Um, and the research has pointed this out and that's what happens with time, right? We learn new things. So, but um, basically the, the issue is, you know, these thyroid support formulas, it's the iodine. I had a client of mine not too long ago who was great. She was just about antibiotics came down. She was feeling awesome, pretty much on remission. And she had to check with her naturopath and her naturopath gave her this support formula. And, um, she, like within two days, she had brain fog and, and pain and malaise and fatigue. I said, what, what happened? What did you do? Oh yeah. She gave me this thing and I look at it and I'm like, there's iodine in it. I'm like, yeah, throw that away immediately. And she did. And then, you know, time went by and she felt better. Yeah. You know, so like, it's really important to be aware of this because I, I, iodine is one of those things that can really, really flare someone up. Um, it's necessary for the thyroid. Like, yes, that's totally true. Um, so it's not to say you can't have iodine. It's about get the right amount, but too, too high of a quantity is a problem just as much as too low is right. Cause goiter, right. But it, too high amounts of iodine in the diet, whether it went from diet or supplements, both or both, um, increases the risk for hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. And, uh, it's, I think it's around like the 150 microgram mark. It's, it's, mm -hmm. you don't need much more than that. And you can get probably all that from your diet. 
So, but essentially it's causing more oxidative stress and um, inflammation literally in the thyroid cells, it's uh, thyroid cell itself. So that's the simplest way of explaining it. But, um, and then goitrogens, right? These compounds and a lot of the vegetables we eat, um, you know, don't eat too much, just kale, because we're going to have too much. No, it's actually a good thing then if it's going to help inhibit the uptake of iodine. So, um, and it's also good for your liver and the blah, 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 gut health. So like, it's more, it's really less iodine, more, more vegetables and questions in your life. That's pretty much the goal, but I would not, um, fall into the trap of, of having, uh, iodine or needing it or just fixating on thyroid supportive formula or nutrients. Cause it's not, it's not going to make a big difference. Probably. I've never seen that. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So goitrogens, uh, a lot of people might not be familiar, but like Broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage. Um, yeah, so the cruciferous veggies for sure. Um, soy, soy is actually not a big deal. It used to be. I used to think it was a problem. It's really not, mm-hmm. unless it's you know GMO. I would say get away from that. But if it's organic fermented soy, it's good. So, but goitrogens are in those foods. Um, what like sorghum, I think, and sweet potatoes and yeah. lima beans, maybe. Um, so, chemical goitrogens are different, but. You know, we don't have to get into that, but that's uh, what you would want to, from a dietary standpoint, yeah, those foods are not really an issue. So I wouldn't go out of your way to avoid those. And you mentioned like the benefits, right? So the benefits far outweigh the, I'm not even going to call it a risk, but the, uh, they outweigh the the thought that they could interfere with, you know, thyroid, well, yeah. which you just mentioned they don't, totally. yeah. which is great. I just did like a little myth debunking like you know real on instagram about goitrogens because they're so healthy and people are so scared of them and so i always recommend especially from a gut health perspective just like cook mm-hmm. them so they're a little easier to digest and you don't get super bloated and gassy mm-hmm. when you eat them but um incredibly beneficial foods now what's scary to me and i, I kind of want this to be like a little psa to the listeners is you know, I've got all these friends who are like taking these, you know, hair growth supplements and, you know, there's, I'm not mm-hmm. going to name any specific brands out there, but I'm just taking a look at all the ingredients as my friends and family send them to me like, Hey, how's this vitamin? How's this vitamin? And it's like, you know, there's ashwagandha, there's 200% daily value iodine. And I'm just thinking like, wait a second, you know, what, what are we doing here? There's a lot of these supplements out there that, that could be um, harmful for some people because maybe the lay individual might take that and have no issue. But as you mentioned, the rising rates of autoimmune, especially Hashimoto's, uh, people should be careful and should be checking the labels for those things. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. A lot of those, a lot of those supplements out there. Um, so you mentioned certain nutrients, right? So not like hyper focusing on specific nutrients like B vitamins and selenium, um, things like that probably not a good investment in your time. The only thing um, that I'll say about that stuff, because there are a few that I think are important to have and, and make sure you're clear on um, vitamin D for one, because that's important. And a lot of people have issues with that. And, and there's many reasons as to why that is and why they're deficient, even if, even if they are supplementing with it, but so vitamin D and so selenium is interesting because it does, um, it is helpful for sure. And it has been shown to lower antibodies with in conjunction with thyroid meds. I've seen that in the research, but you know, everyone's different. And I think I say this with caution because you could have this expectation. If I tell you this, okay, I can take my selenium every day um, for three months and I'm expecting my, my TSH to come down and my antibodies to come down. It might, but you know, as I say, it took you a while to get here. It's going to take you some time to get out. It is not mm-hmm. going to be remedied by just, taking selenium it's maybe a helpful tool but you know it's a quick fix sort of shortcut that we have to remember that there this is, it doesn't happen that way with autoimmune disease in general yeah so do it and there's no you don't i, I don't think lose anything by taking selenium but it's not a, a thing that i focus on i say yeah yeah get it through your diet you know if you have some something that has it in it great but eat a brazil nut one brazil nut a day you get like yeah, you percent of your daily value so we keep them in the fridge. When I was living at home, my mom and my mom and I would wake up every morning. We'd go pop in the fridge, grab like one Brazil nut, put it on oatmeal or something. And yeah, there you not, go. not, not the world's favorite nut. Right. So you don't need to really eat more than one anyway. <laughs> Nobody really cares about it. Um, right. But no, that's, that's really helpful. 
in terms of a nutrient perspective. And I think that that goes to say for pretty much anything, right? If you hyper focus on a nutrient, um, you know, that's, that's not probably going to be the solution. Now, trauma, right? So you have kind of brought into this very um, important layer of healing autoimmune disease, and that's, you know, kind of healing traumas. And so I'd love to hear your, um, your approach to this or your philosophy on this and, and potential research maybe, but um, yeah, let's yeah. dive in a little bit there. Yeah, it's a big uh, rabbit hole to go down. Um, but it's an important one for sure. And I'm, I'm saying this because over the years, I've just kind of realized the significance of this and how much of a role it does have in as an antecedent and, and precipitating uh, autoimmune disease. I'm not just saying Hashimoto's, by the way. I'm saying really autoimmunity in general um, and, and also perpetuating it. And if you're wondering why throwing this out there, what I've seen too, if you're wondering why all the protocols are doing aren't working and the detox, this supplement, that diet, this gut health, that not to say it's wrong. You can't do it and you should, and you should do it fine. But if nothing is really budging and you're not really where you want to be and you're doing a lot of the very, a lot of variations of the same thing, right? Just different combinations of diet and supplements and things. Fine. It, it's not, you have to look back. Then you start looking at this stuff and the trauma, stress and your life present daily, currently, from the pandemic, past, since childhood, all the above, everywhere in between, because there probably lies a hidden gem of truth that is holding you back from getting to where you want to be. And I say this because I see it probably 95, 95% of the time that this is what's holding people back. And I'm not even saying that everyone has to have trauma or does have trauma or it's a requirement for autoimmunity, but it is definitely a big underrecognized factor that does not get enough attention. And I'm telling you, if you, if you have that unhealed pain and burden of uh, shame and adequacy and fear and guilt and grief and anger, and et cetera, that has to be dealt with because it's living in the body. The trauma is over, but it's still living in the body. Um, and it's creating energy blocks, it's disrupting hormones. It's, it's creating low grade stress basically uh, all the time, your nervous system and your brain, your limbic system is dysfunctional. And you can't, you can do all the perfect diets and protocols and, and all, all the things that you want. And, and I see this, but if it's not working, it's, there's, there's a good reason that's part of it. So it's a, it's a big, big um, aspect of this. And it's tough because no one's, I mean, people are talking about it, but it's not getting the attention it needs, but mm -hmm. how to do it is very hard. It's not a simple thing either. It's not like, okay, take the, uh, you know, I, I jokingly say like, just because, um, just as you might take a supplement thinking it's going to fix your, your gut or your, your thyroid, it's not necessarily the same with, with trauma either. It's not like you do a session of, you know, EMDR or tapping and hit Reiki and you're done and okay, it's game over. No, it doesn't happen that way. So <laughs> there's, it's a complicated thing. But what I'm trying to say is that this is a, uh, a big overlooked area that, um, and, and again, it's a mental, emotional stress. So we were to categorize it as one thing. It's that whether you call it trauma or not, I don't really care. It's all self-identified. It's very specific to the person. It's however, some, whatever it, it is that happened to you and how it's making an impact on you. That's what matters. So, you know, um, but this is uh, a big catalyst for, for autoimmunity. And yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely research out there that shows this. I mean, this is, it's not a far-fetched idea. If you really think about just the, or, or you're aware of the, the physiology of stress and, and trauma, what it does to the body. Um, and uh, that is easily a gateway to, to autoimmunity. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you can even see on some, and I'll, I can talk about this later if you want, or at some point about lab markers and different things that beyond a thyroid panel that can really um, be helpful. But if you look at even certain immune cells, um, which is, this is going to get kind of nerdy, but if you look at the breakdowns of certain immune cells and T cells, for example, which are, by the way, if I can just say this, because it's important, antibody is not the issue, right? As far as what's causing the thyroid damage, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on that. Oh, my antibodies are high. Yeah. And I've had people who can get in remission and have a TPO of 400. still. you know, it's not and vice versa. Someone could have a low, you know, a kind of high ish, but suddenly at a range TPO and they have raging symptoms. So it's not cut and dried like that.
But the antibodies are just like messengers. They're saying, hey, that's a target. We need, we need someone to attack. They, they pretty much are recruiting this army to, and a bunch of immune cells, like T cells, like I was alluding to or mentioning a second ago. So what I'm trying to say is that there's some research that I've seen that even people who've been um, uh, sexually abused and incest um, have gone through that. They have different immune patterns and immune cell patterns. And it's not, um, it's, a, it's a definitely a correlation type thing. So it's not a cause and effect, but you have to wonder, and it doesn't surprise me that there can be changes in your immune system. If you look at these specific markers um, that could put you at risk and predispose you to autoimmunity in the future. Um, but, you know, this isn't really research that's being done, but the point is that there's a lot of opportunity to explore this within yourself. And you have to be really honest with it because um, really you will know better than anyone if you have unresolved pain and emotions or, or stress in your life. But that is the biggest uh, driver for the Hashimoto's that I find um, that once you get that handled, it's like a, a, it's like flipping a switch. It's like really an almost a nine day difference in how people feel and change. Hmm. Um, but it's not easy to do because it takes yeah. work. It's not like swallow this and you've healed. Or it's not like you're going to go to acupuncture and they're going to open up your meridian lines and everything just kind right. of, fizzles out yeah <laughs> yeah that's a I mean I, I know I can personally relate to that for sure in terms of a lot of where where my own digestive issues stem from as a kid you know there was a lot of childhood trauma things that that were not addressed in my life and um, you know I can speak for from my own experience that that was something that that you know I've really needed to work on and I'm continually a work in progress and you know, most of my clients, there's always some coinciding, um, you know, mental health struggles or, or like you mentioned, you know, referred to it as trauma, which might sound extreme to some people, but trauma doesn't have to be this big, you know, sexual abuse mm-hmm. type of, you know, event that happened in your life, in your lifetime. Um, so I think it's, it's a really, uh, I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's really important. And I hope that it encourages people to think of that as a, a big piece of mm-hmm. their healing, you know, protocol, because it's, um, it's not talked about enough. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. So I think we hit on a lot of the, the things that I really wanted to talk about. Um, I mean, I'd love for you, I know you were just talking about certain lab values that you would recommend to look at. So if you could kind of nerd out there for a second and, um, share maybe what you were alluding to. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the CBC complete blood count is, is definitely uh, a common thing that most docs will do. And I'm telling you that is definitely one of the things you want to routinely look at. I think along with the thyroid panel because of the immune system, it's a general idea of what's going on with your white blood cells and all different types of white blood cells. Right. And, um, especially with the, the virus going around right now, like it's just important to see, you know, cause you have your certain immune, certain arms of the immune system are, are the first line of defense, you know, and you want to look and see how they're doing because this is also important in uh, infections and really just anything that could be involved with Hashimoto's. So if you look at your, um, your total white blood cells and, and just get a, an idea of where they are, whether high or low, that's a good place to let you know, a good way to know how active or, inactive rather your immune system is because mm. it's not um a lot of people have wiped out immune systems and, and white blood cells that is which means immunocompromised states and that might sound like a good thing if you have Hashimoto's but it's not it's it's saying that there are certain parts of, the, of your immune system that are depleted because it's probably burnt out from keeping up with this demand for the years and stress definitely is the biggest reason why and that opens up the door for a lot of infections and why people have mold and Lyme and this Epstein-Barr or not even that, but like just other fungus, the SIBO. So like looking at that, if it's below five, I'm concerned usually like a four and a half, five, it's like anything below that is usually showing me that. And I've seen that. And conversely, anything above like a six um, is going to tell me there's immune activity. Um, now what is that? I don't know. It's just a general thing. It's like, it's like just telling you that there's activity going on. Now, the other thing I'll say is that, um, this isn't done very often. I don't know if you've done this, but you're looking at just a a T and B cell profile and seeing the breakdown of lymphocytes. Mm. So 
as I said before, those T cells, like the army that are attacking the thyroid when the antibodies are just flagging it, you can actually look at um, the different the different like kind of subsets, if you will, of them. So, um, and, and it's not super important for a listener, I think, to understand this, but when you have antibodies, you can see if they're high or low, right? But you can look at certain types of T cells because some are good and some are not so great. And you want to have a you want to have a, an idea of like where they are. But I can tell you that if you look at that and you get it done and tested, um, you can see just how active your those T cells are. Because if you have thyroid a thyroid result that is not um, showing much, and you look at this and you have raging T cells, I mean that's going to tell me that there's something going on. And it doesn't mean it's autoimmunity, but now when you compare that with your stress antibodies, it's stress. Yeah. And it can be any, you know, it could be a virus an infection too. So mm-hmm. it's just telling us that there's still work to be done. And that's subjective data. That's important because, um, especially if like you feel that, um, you still have symptoms and you don't know where it's coming from, or you don't know why, but your TSH is normal. Like you hear that a lot. Oh, my labs are normal. So I must be fine. But then if we looked at this, this could be really helpful. Now I can tell you that if you ask your doctor to do it, they'll look at you like, like you're speaking a different language. So it's probably not even worth your effort. So why am I talking about it? <laughs> well, you can, you can honestly order it on your own. And I've had people do that. Um, and I can, you know, say the link if you want to share it, but it's just a, a website yeah. that I've used. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's like, you know, $140, I think, but it's very important. I think it's very helpful. It's one of the first things I do and I don't do many labs people, but it's one of the first things I do in the beginning with somebody to see kind of where they stand because um, that will reflect into uh, the white blood cell levels and the CBC, and um, and also just seeing like how much work, how much activity is going on, and if there's a lot of work to do. Um, and then over time, as symptoms improve, you can recheck that and see kind of what's going on. But um, yeah, it's a really it's it's not one of those things, those types of labs that get gets discussed enough, I think. But it's it's very helpful for me. Yeah. I, I, um, I love that you, you kind of like advocate for just kind of doing it on your own, but I know that a lot of people will say, when I say this to them, you know, I use like certain lab tests in my practice and they get like a 25% off discount code, which is really great. Um, but it doesn't always go into as, you know, in depth as those types of things, but the, the, the big barrier, right. Is cost, right. So you, you know, you ask your doctor, you can get it covered by insurance or you end up paying $600 for like a vitamin D value. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, 140 is pretty reasonable to look at those values when they are, you know, that important for kind of what you're trying to diagnose <laughs> and, and treat. So, yeah, I mean, if you would give me the link for that, or if you want to say it, whatever works, but, um, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. I totally get that. It's just kind of fending for yourself. And, uh, and all I say is if you're, it's like, if it's, feels like it's pulling teeth, you know, trying to get your physician to order stuff for you just to get, uh, get a cover by insurance. Like the stress of, of going through that and fighting for yourself over and over is probably not worth it. Cause that's probably making your, probably making your autoimmune situation worse. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's good to know. And then in terms of like you mentioned, and I, I'm a big advocate for this myself. I, I get labs done like at least every like six to eight months in terms of vitamin D, my vitamin D has been low in the past, um, like ferritin, things like that. So I'm always getting up to date labs and, uh, you know, willing to pay a little out of pocket for that because it's important to me, Mm -hmm. but, uh, where do you like, where do you go to get yours done in terms of thyroid specific? A lot of my clients, they will, um, yeah, honestly, lately I've, I've noticed that they've been able to get pretty much what they need. Um, cause they're, working, they're working with someone who is not, uh, clo- you know, has, doesn't have a myopic view of this sort of thing. So someone who's more integrative, which is, which is helpful. Um, and, uh, but if not, then and when we need to get clarity on something, then I'm going to say, we just, um, you know, drop $40 for antibodies or something. Um, through one of those websites I mentioned before, like walkinlab.com. Yeah, and it, it's just an easy way to, to get what you need. Most of the time, it's not too much of an issue to get a, you know, a, a good overview of the thyroid, but I'm not really picky about um, getting all the things so much because um, honestly, at the end of the day, so many things are influencing the numbers that it's uh, once you start feeling better, it's going to reflect 
reflect into those lab values. And TSH, TLT4, and antibodies are like the most important ones. And reverse T3 is good, but it's not, that'll tell you a lot about how, how stressed out you might be, but um, it's not a, not a thing that I'm like, not foolproof, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm not, it, it's kind of just wherever people are, it's, it's not, you have to do this or we're not going to make any progress. It's just about, for me, like, well, here's what I think. And are you comfortable doing this? And if not, or if you're not able to, that's fine. We can still yeah. find a way. I like that. I like your approach. I, I, um, you know, it resonates, I think in terms of there's a lot of times there's a sense of urgency or very dogmatic, uh, views, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, is a, it's an approach, right? That's definitely an approach. But I, I think when it comes to dealing with more complex issues, you know, having the sense of, um, I guess like almost calmness about the situation itself and approaching it in a very level headed manner, um, is, is, is very admirable. So I appreciate that. And, um, and I think your clients I'm sure do as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So if the listeners are looking for like, I don't know, three big takeaways of kind of this whole episode, or I guess you, you as a practitioner, um, what would they be? Like, what would your big three takeaways be for them? <laughs> it's actually quite easy. Um, you can't diet and supplement your way out of Hashimoto's. So do that. And I'm not saying don't look at diet supplements. You can and should, but it's a very, very, I tell my clients, it really, it really represents like 5% of what we're doing. Because we're not, I spend about a few minutes talking about it, but they've already, here's the thing most people have mastered their diet. They've already experimented with keto and paleo and plant-based and carnivore and whatever. And it's like, you probably already really cleaned up a lot of stuff and know what you're doing. It's still spending energy on that and just trying to tweak some more. is really not going to make a dent. Um, cause you've been doing it for 10 years. So why would it happen now? Right. It's like, loose, <laughs> it's kind of, it's like loose change. I like to consider it like loose. Yeah. Change. Right. So put your energy on things that take more precedence like stress. And it's probably the biggest factor here because that will overshadow every benefit you do with diet. You can't, you know, um, the benefits of a healthy diet will be, over, will be overpowered by what stress, mental stress does. And that applies to past and, and present stuff as well. So I would say, yeah, the diet and supplement thing for sure. Um, start assessing your biography and seeing, well, how did I get here? Because that's the most important question to ask. Because you didn't get here overnight. It's not like you went to Chick-fil-A last week and you know, all of a sudden you got <laughs> a food that you ate a food that wasn't good for you and you dealt Hashimoto's. So your history and what you where you've been, where you traveled, where you worked, and what kind of environment was that in? And and what kind of people were you around? How are your parents? How did they treat you? How was your social life? Um one of the, like I'm just gonna say this. This is a really common example, unfortunately, but a lot of a lot of times people will say, Oh, I didn't have trauma, right? Well, and, and and then we talk about it. Oh, yeah, my mom, you know, or an aunt of mine said that I am fat, I need to lose weight, and I heard that since I was eight years old until I was until I left for college. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's trauma? Yeah. Hell yeah. And like that's the that's the point because that sits with someone and it changes their behavior, it changes the physiology, and it's also changing how they show up in the world and how they judge themselves and what they wear and this and that and the other. And like, yeah, that's a great example of what's beneath the iceberg to how you got here. Cause right now it's like, I think you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people will say, well, I got all these symptoms. I got this diagnosis because I just got breast implants done, or I had this uh, dental procedure done, or I got the vaccine or whatever. And maybe that was part of it, right? Sure. Those are all possible real things, but it's probably not always, I can't say this with sheer confidence, but it's probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm. It, It was, it was the thing that finally, overfilled the bucket of water as I call it and then just flooded the place and but really the question is what's everything that came before that because that's what got the ball rolling that's what started to prime your immune system to do the the things it's doing and be abnormal so I'm saying look at retrospectively for a bit and and see ask those questions and 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 reflect on it and see if there's any sort of like gems there that could be like, Oh yeah, you know what? That's still living in me. I still have that issue with this person, this fear, this fear or this unworthiness. I'm still kind of holding on to, it may not feel like it's related to this, but I can tell you that it probably is because of, of how it changed the physiology early on in life. Um, and then it reflects eventually into your, your hormones and 
you know, I, I've seen people who have, who are molested and they're in their, you know, fifties and they have cortisol patterns that are still like non-existent, mm. you know, and I'm not saying it's from that, but we know that that can be a thing and, and how hormones can change from abuse and, and trauma. And it's just a question you want to ask that you are, um, it will definitely make, uh, be a big revelation if you th- dig up some stuff. Okay. So that's my second thing. And thirdly, um, despite all the gloomy things I've been talking about, find joy in your life. Okay. I know it's so simple, right? But it's mm-hmm. like, it's not though. I, I tell my clients like, this is a, the one thing that you could do is have a day off or take, ha- uh, take a day off and do nothing and not have a, an agenda or to-do list and just give yourself a break and do something that brings you joy and, ha- and, and peace because that's what's healing to the body. Your body doesn't feel safe in an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto. So doing things like that is going to help shift gears a bit, but it's what calms down the stress response and your nervous system gives your hormones a break kind of. And that's the point. So, um, it is definitely a thing that's free and very effective if you get into a habit of integrating that into your life. And it's just a choice you you, you can make, but if we're, if we are caught up, I'm telling you this, right. If we're so much caught in Googling everything, trying to find this intervention and that, and, and, if obsessing about this food and that, and why aren't, why aren't, the, why isn't this working yet? Like, and complaining about doctors and living in that toxic landfill of, of emotions and thoughts is not supporting you at all. And I can tell you this because I've seen no one ever heal in that environment. And that includes the Facebook groups that you're in where people are complaining and blaming. And I'm like, just saying, you know, it's no, it's not helpful. It's not helping the cause. So finding a way to detach from that stuff and, and finding some level of, of happiness and joy, which you can do despite all the chaos in the world, I get it, but it's still an opportunity that we can make and, and seeing what we can do to kind of elevate our vibration because, you know, that's where healing is and joy and peace and laughter, solitude, appreciation. And we need more of that. So it's, it's a lot of, yes, matter, changing matter with matter and like things that Joe Dispenza talks about, you know, we need that food, diet supplements these things can, can change your physiology but changing energy to matter too it's important mm-hmm. and that comes from our mind so i know i'm kind of dragging out this answer but those that's those are the three things i would say no i love that those <laughs> were those were fantastic and and it's true i i agree with you on all these things and if you asked me like 15 years ago if i thought that that was true i probably would have laughed and been like oh no yeah. that's for you know, monks that live in the mountains and (laughs) yoga and meditation. But now I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've been in therapy my whole life. Right. So the amount of different things that I've learned about myself and practicing, it's a practice. Like it it does, it does become a practice. It's not something that just like, it's like, you know, you tell someone with anxiety to just relax. Like it doesn't work like that where it's just, here's something to do, do it. And then it happens. It's like, you have to work at it. Like the same way that you're trying to work to figure out your health issues, you have to work on self-care and, and bringing peace to your body and mind in certain ways. And um, no, it's not, it's not easy, but it's worth it for sure. So I love that you, you integrate that into your practice. The most important question now is what is your favorite childhood memory with food? <laughs> I feel like I was just talking about this actually with a friend of mine. Um, it would be, um, fr- honestly, it's probably French toast because my mom would make that for me all the time. Okay. <laughs> that's a good classic. Yeah. I love it. I love the the classic, just like, that's a great you know, memory. Mom made me French toast. Delicious. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't gluten-free, but if you, if you can make it gluten-free for yourself, I'm sure it'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've done a gluten-free one before. Um, yeah. it was really good too. And it was dairy-free too, used almond milk and, um, and I can't really speak to like what it tasted like compared to the childhood one. Cause I actually weirdly didn't like French toast growing up. I was like very, I was like, I would eat frozen waffles walking out the door, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you can make it gluten-free and dairy-free if, if that's, you know, applicable to your lifestyle mm-hmm. and it's pretty damn yeah. good. I will say, so that's awesome. <laughs> Um, so Justin, where can people find you if they're interested in connecting with you, learning more, working with you, your, Oh yeah. So, yeah, the simplest thing, honestly, is um, the my website, the autoimmunerevolution.com. Awesome. And everything is right there front and center as far as all the um, different programs and things we offer. But it's, it's definitely a lot of Hashimoto's. 
and, and trauma and stress, which is another thing that I'm recently um, doing more of, of course. And then, yeah, if you want to poke around on Instagram and see what I'm blabbing about for, uh, these days, you can find me there. Um, They're like free TikToks my... full of information, and information <laughs> yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, so it's just my name, Matt Justin Janoska, and you can find me there. So All right, great. Love to connect everyone. Yeah. Well, thanks, Justin. It was so wonderful having you on today and sharing your wealth of knowledge and uh, really appreciate the work that you do. So thanks. Well, again I appreciate you too. Thank time. you so much. My pleasure. All right. Bye, Justin. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. As we approach the holidays, I wanted to make note of a few awesome gift ideas on my website. I have my gut healthy cookbooks, rewire your gut and rewire your sweet tooth. So many delicious recipes in there. I also have my lab certified CBD oil. If you use the code rewired 30 in the next few weeks, you get 30% off. This is going to be the biggest discount I have ever done. And my group coaching program starting in the new year, the wait list is open. So check it out. I also have a full holiday gift guide at nutritionrewired.com. So check it out. And thanks for tuning in to today's episode. As always, don't forget to share the health.